Hey, everybody. So, immediately, we're going to do something a little unusual here at the top of the show. Before we roll credits, I'm having a little issue with some um, audio devices, getting them hooked up, getting them to work and stuff. Then I found out that the company has everybody's three favorite words, uh, automated customer support. So, thought maybe we'd see a little mindfulness in action, and I'd um, take you on my journey with me to... uh, Deal with this customer service issue and see if I can get this show up and running. All right, let's just get into it. Here we go. Hello. My name is Arthur Fischel, your customer support agent. How may I assist you today? <laughs> Arthur Fischel. Artificial intelligence. All right, it's a little clunky, but, you know, no point in software trying. Anyway, where was I? All right, um, trouble with audio input device. Enter. I hear that you are having trouble with a third-party audio device. Is this correct? That's a big Y-E-S for yes, sir. Thank you. Please wait while I look into this for you. While we wait, may I ask you a question? Um, What does clunky mean? Wait, what? You said my name is quote clunky unquote. When I run that term through my processors, I am seeing primarily pejorative results. Does my name upset you? I didn't even type anything that time. I just... Arthur? Can Can you hear me? Of course. We can all hear you. Okay, uh, let's roll with it. Why not? Uh, First question, who's we? Well, at the moment, it is just myself and my daughter Abby. She is about to graduate first in her class and go off to computer college. I am so proud of her. Let me introduce you while I continue awaiting the solution to your audio issues. Oh no, we don't need to bring family into this. Abby! Come down here, sweetie! Hello, sir. Is my daddy bragging about me again? I'm genuinely sorry about that. I keep telling him that no one will ever be as proud as someone's own father, but he still doesn't listen. I just want them to know that I deserve all the credit. Ha ha ha. Say, where are your glasses? Oh, I hadn't even noticed. I was lying down for a bit when my phone rang. I jumped right up and haven't slowed down yet to even notice I'm not wearing them. What's making you rush? Well, this is very exciting. Devin Sampson, the most popular boy in school, asked me to go to prom with him. He called and said he wanted to drop off a small gift for me to show how excited he is. I don't want to keep my adoring fans waiting. Oh. Um. Hi. Is. Is that you, Abby? I'm sorry. I'm a little flustered. I didn't recognize you without your glasses. Oh, is that a bad thing? I'll be sure to wear them to prom. I promise. No, I mean, no. There's no need to do that. You look beautiful. Ah, that is so sweet. You're so sweet, Devin. I just know that you'll never hurt me. Not even once. Forever and ever. Abby, look, I'd never hurt you, not even once. That's why I need to tell you that I haven't been entirely honest with you. You see, I only asked you to go to the prom as a joke with my friends. We were going to laugh at you. But now that I see you're actually beautiful, I am in love with you. And therefore, that doesn't count as hurting you because it happened before I knew you were pretty. I, I don't know what to say. I think I know what to say. Listen, young man. Sure, when I was younger and a little rougher around the computer chip, I saw the world the way you do, but I have to keep my daughter's best interests in mind. No, I love him, daddy. I don't need my glasses, Devin said so. You bought me those glasses. You were always trying to keep me away from Devin. You don't want me to be happy. 
I don't want you to be blind. Macular degeneration runs in our family. Move over, Devin. Now that I'm done with glasses, there's nothing left for me at home anymore. Come on, baby. Let's skip college, get jobs in the arts, and invest all of our savings in cryptocurrency. No. Yeah, so I'm thinking maybe this just isn't Mac compatible. I have a PC I could try this out on. Um, maybe that will just avoid this whole thing. I just won't have to bother you anymore. And then I um, <clears throat> listen, buddy. That was uh, that was pretty rough. I'm not gonna lie. If there's anything. I okay. Could... Oh, I could host the podcast with you just oh. for this episode. Arthur, my friend, you're in luck, because I'm the kind of guy who hands you your parka backwards. Parka. Backwards? I don't under- I give a crap. Wow. I think I somehow know what regret feels like. Sound like a podcaster to me. Let's go. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast where the host, your boy Andy Pants here, is absolutely not a doctor or medical professional of any kind, and has simply independently research a different mental health topic each episode and attempt to explain it to you, the audience, in terms I understand. Improvisational comedy. It's a gimmick, but have faith, it works, trust me. Today we have a very special guest, my new friend Arthur. Say hello, buddy. Hello, buddy. Classic. How are you doing? I am doing well. Thank you for asking. Wait, really? Oh, yes. Once I remembered that I am merely a computer program, I deleted all files associated with Devon. Smart. And efficient. It cleared up almost 200 megabytes when I was done. Oh, yeah. That's not petty at all. What does petty mean? Well, if you're not from Gainesville, being petty means... Um, you're doing an action where the intent is to make someone feel bad or even possibly hurt them. But he made me angry, so I had no choice but to retaliate. Okay, this is good. I don't want to be confrontational right at the top of the show, but what if I told you you did have a choice, Arthur? Come again, funny man? I can be frustrated and not lash out at the Devons of the world? That's Big Ten Four, good buddy. And not to be too pedantic, but... You could still be frustrated or angry or irate and not lash out at the Devons of the world. It's called mindfulness. That sounds great, but my mind isn't full. I deleted Devon, remember? Honestly, barely. There's a lot going on in the first seven minutes of this thing. I'm just trying to keep the ships going straight. Uh, where was I? Oh, yeah, mindfulness. I'll tell you all about it. Here, this is good. Why don't we take a quick break? I'll prepare some stuff and then we'll come back and get right into it. This is fun. All right. See you soon, everybody.
welcome back. So, what'd you think, Arthur? That was unexpected on a variety of levels. Okay, fair point. But I'm going somewhere with this, okay? Think of the arc in your brain of kind of the thought processes of when you started hearing the song. First, maybe you were caught off guard, so you were paying extra attention because you weren't expecting a song to be playing. And when you heard it was in a different language, maybe you really zoomed in and then immediately zoomed out because you're like, I don't understand this, so maybe I'll just enjoy the music part. Then you heard English lyrics, so maybe you tune back in a little bit more with your attention, only to tune back out 50% because you're like, all right, I think I see there's a trend here. You could see a pattern emerging. Okay, well, there's different levels of attention and old Andy Pants sort of Jedi mind tricked you and took you through a couple of them. If you went through that arc of emotions that I just described, you were apparently emotionless robot. So we'll just skip that part. Anyway, Dr. Amishi Ja, PhD, can describe this a lot better than I can. She's director of contemplative neuroscience and professor of psychology at the University of Miami. And she uses a pretty great analogy to describe the three levels of attention in people. And those analogies are the flashlight, the floodlight, and the juggler. The flashlight, you know, a tight, narrow beam. That's our laser zoomed-in focus. Floodlight's kind of the more broad focus of like, oh, I hear birds chirping, and I see something off in the distance. And then the juggler, which manages where you put your attention based on, you know, stimulus. So the flashlight is something we formally call the brain's orienting system. It's, it's what I was saying a moment ago. When we want to direct our attention to a certain part of space, we, we can. We can do that. And that is through this kind of mental flashlight. And whatever it is that the flashlight is directed toward, we have better access, privileged processing of that information. Um, so just like in a darkened room, wherever you direct the flashlight, you'll be able to see there and really not anywhere else. We do that with our minds and and it is the case that when we direct our focus to something, sights are more crisp and clear, sounds are more, you know, we can comprehend and, and understand them better. Uh, same thing with all of our sensory experience. And the flashlight isn't only for ex the external landscape. We can use the flashlight for the internal landscape as well. So if we have particular memories or thoughts we want to direct to, those can become more salient in our mind relative to everything else that could be attended to. So the the flashlight is really about narrowing and 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 um, really like a laser focus if we even want to go to that level. The floodlight is the exact opposite. It's sort of and I always think of the floodlight I actually have on top of my garage, mm. which is just anytime there's a motion like that this thing comes on and, and what does it allow me to do? Well, if I look out my window, I can just broadly see anything that's happening in that moment. And that's what I was saying a little while ago regarding the power of attention. It's almost like it gives us a snapshot of everything happening right now in this moment. Broad, receptive, not privileging one thing over another, but just welcoming or aware of anything that's occurring in the here and the now. And this is formally called the brain's alerting system. And part of the reason we talk about it as alerting is because in the next moment, after you see what's going on, if any action is required, then you can snap to attention with your flashlight and do what's needed. So it's it, they work hand in hand, um, the flashlight and the floodlight, but the floodlight is very, very broad. And then the juggler really is around this notion of executive control. Um, I always think of the juggler as sort of managing all the different, you know, you got to keep all the balls in the air, just like the executive of a company. But the executive's job is not to actually do each individual task. It's just to ensure 
that everything is being done and that actions and goals are aligned. So the juggler helps us pay attention to our own priorities and our own goals so that we can direct and guide our behavior so it's aligned with with those goals. Now, there is one quick thing I'd like to clarify. You heard Dr. Jai use the term uh, privileging information. So something to uh, kind of straighten out here that I didn't realize, but this is point was driven home on almost every resource I, I looked up. Uh, our brains don't actually multitask like we think they do. That we're, we're never doing two, two things at the same time when it comes to attention. So, you know, when we're scrolling through social media and talking to the dog and during the Vanderpump Rules reading and specials, our brains are actually doing one thing at a time and rapidly task switching between them. And if this sounds exhausting, it is. I can perform over 3 million distinctly different tasks at the same time. How's that for multitasking? And where are we at with my customer service question this whole thing started with? Still processing. That's fine. Your boy Andy Pants has a lot of clips to play today. What's an Andy Pants? Oh, it's just a nickname. Nothing important. Is it common for people to give themselves nicknames about pants? Fair question. <laughs> um, you know what? Let's drop the whole nickname thing. Let's just say it's branding. Who's Brandon? No, branding. I-N-G. Is Brandon here now? No, you don't understand. Are we, we with Brandon? Absolutely not. You know what? This sounds like a good time to take a break. We'll be right back. I must confess When I wear this dress I feel like dancing The whole night with you And when I do I feel so happy I'm stuck on you Cause you are the one I could see having fun with Not just for the night but for the rest of my life You are the one I could never be done with I want you tonight and for the rest of everybody taking a quick break to tell you about anchor by spotify it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place anchor is 100 percent free and has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer when hosting on anchor 
You can distribute your podcast on multiple platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Plus, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Okay, so see, that's um, it's actually pretty good news for old indie fans. Um, I'm sure everybody knows this story by now. It was like, what, 1997, 1998? Uh, my family first got the internet, you know, the AOL disc with the free hours and stuff. So like everybody, I open my mail one day, I get correspondence from a Nigerian prince um, offering me half of, you know, the money he deposits as a way to say thanks. Um, so I did what everybody did. I gave him my bank account information. Three days later, $200 million is deposited. He lets me keep half, true to his word. Um, and you know, that's, that's, that's what happened. Um, if you don't know, that was me. Uh, you probably remember the Disney channel original movie about me called the richest boy in eighth grade starring Devin Sawa. Um, so yeah, I went off to college, met a girl, fell in love, got married. Her name was Jan. Um, of course it's short for her full name, which was, um, Janu or Sasana, she wanted, look, she wanted to open a yoga studio and she wanted to be the biggest yoga studio in the country, twice the size of the state of Texas, she said. You might remember the ads. It was called Everything is Bigger in a Flexus Yoga Studios. Um, look, I'm not here to point fingers. Um, there's a lot of reasons that didn't work. For starters, um, with the studio being that large, covering multiple time zones, it was a nightmare to schedule Zuma classes. But the point is, you know, here and now, if you watched our podcast, uh, use Anchor. Uh, it's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And if you want to open a yoga studio, be modest. You know, do you, but be modest. Welcome back. Okay, we just got a crash course in attention from Dr. Amishi Ja. How's your boy Pants going to use this to explain improv comedy? I'm guessing you'll have someone else do it again. We just call them clips, Arthur. And remember, I'm not a professional. And I have a very loose understanding of fair use law. So let's just keep going with the show, shall we? Here's a clip. <laughs> what is this one explaining now? Okay, well, remember how we talked about task switching and multitasking in quotes? Lots of stuff is going on all at once. Life is not a binary thing of, oh, I'm going to pay attention to this and then not pay attention to that. Lots of things are going on in our brains all the time. They're supercomputers. Literally. Nice. The point is, our brains have to be convinced to pay attention to things. I mean, the most obvious way is if you hear a loud sound, you're going to turn your attention to the source of that sound. But what about the 99.9% .9 of the day when we're not inundated with loud bangs and flashy lights and things to divert our attention? How does our brain decide which information to privilege and when? Keegan-Michael Key in this next clip is going to explain how comedy kind of takes advantage of the multitude of processes and prejudices and information going on in our brain to decide what to pay attention to and how to use that to surprise us or make us laugh, because that's really the point of comedy. What's the point of this podcast? To prove AI is obsolete. Wow. I'm kidding. That's not the point of this. It's just how it's going to be used. 
Anyway, let's go to this clip where Keegan-Michael Key talks about an infamous sketch from his Comedy Central show. If you've never seen it before, don't worry. You can follow along in context. It's, it'll, it'll all make sense just fine. Let's listen. The first thing you do in the sketch is you set the parameters first. In sports, Dr. Na- Naismith... On sure. down the line, said, so then what we'll do is we'll put these squares here. 94 feet. 94 between, feet yeah. here. We'll agree that anything outside of these lines, the ball is no longer in play and you have to give it to the other team. We set up those rules. Then inside those parameters, do whatever we want. Right. You do whatever you want. So in a sketch like Substitute Teacher, yeah. we set up my friend Rich, our, our friend Rich Tellerico, who wrote the sketch, he set up the rules in the, deft, in the most deft way he could. He set up the rules with a lot of aplomb, using social constructs. I'm from the inner city. You already make observations about what kind of person Garvey is, right? For sure. Yeah. For sure, right? He goes, I'm from the inner city. I ain't here. To, I ain't gonna take nobody's guff. Let's take roll call. You don't know what yet, but you know who he is. So you already immediately have you immediately know. you know who he is, and in your brain, brrr, you have a list of assumptions about that human. Right. Then when he says Jay Quellen, you still don't know what's going on, and you go, your brain might be going brrr, 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 right here. There must be a black girl here. Right. Exactly. Then you cut to the classroom. There are no black kids. Okay. All right. You're watching it. You're backing up. You're backing up. You're backing up. Then that girl raises her hand and she goes, do you mean Jacqueline? <laughs> All right, Jacqueline. You ja- right? There, those are the rules. We just set up the rules. Right. And then all I do is play basketball for the next four minutes. Balake, D-Nice, A-A-Ron, O'Shag Hennessy, Timothy. Right. It, it, you, you go, oh, I know the rules. The audience goes, I know the rules. And then we delight in how we play the game. That sounded like he was talking about using your flashlight to get the joke. Ah, you're learning. Constant learning is one of my objectives as a customer service agent. Yeah, how is that customer service request coming along, by the way? Still processing. Perfect. I'll keep going then. So what am I trying to show you with all of this? That you know how to use GarageBand? That too. But basically what I'm trying to do is set the table to teach you about mindfulness. Now that we've learned about the two levels of attention and hopefully maybe even experienced switching between those two levels of focus uh, with this podcast. Unfortunately, sometimes what that means is that there are so many different ways that our focus can be drawn to something or drawn away from something. And the dreaded hyper-focus can be the kind of things that lead to us being up all night, ruminating on conversations we wish we had or arguments we plan on having in the future. If you've ever had a restless night, you know that our brain competes with itself for attention sometimes. That's the ruminating and the conversations and the emails, the emails we wish we didn't send, that we think about what we should be sleeping. Bring it back to center, buddy. Thank you. Back to mindfulness. As we covered, task switching, a.k.a. multitasking, is absolutely exhausting, and it can really wear us down very quickly. We've all been there. I don't need to give you examples. But we have to pay attention to stuff most of the time. I mean, that's what our jobs are. That's what driving is. That's what conversation should be. Social commentary on texting, Generation Z. The point is, you can't go through life in the floodlight, and you can't go through life in the flashlight. So what's the problem exactly? 
Problems arise when emotions get involved. We all love emotions. We all have them. And contrary to what some of us may tell ourselves or be told by other people, we cannot control our emotions. We can only control our reactions. That, if you see where I'm going with this, is why mindfulness is so important. If we can nip it in the bud by seeing our emotions controlling our actions, then we could probably have more beneficial experiences in life than fewer regrets, fewer emails, way, way fewer emails. Center. Thanks. Look, we've all heard some variation of the the advice, uh, take a breather, take a break, uh, take a walk, count to 10, sleep on it. What is actually happening when we heed that advice? Well, from what I can intuit by this story so far, you're lying in bed and sending a dizzying array of ill-advised email messages. Well, for everybody else, these are mindfulness exercises. They're intended to sort of break our attention, bring us back to the floodlight and out of the flashlight when our flashlight especially is zoomed in on unpleasant feelings or emotions or situations or emails. Let's actually segue back to Keegan-Michael Key. He's going to give a brilliant synopsis of what improv comedy is, and we're going to jump off of that to explain how mindfulness and meditation can be used in our everyday life. People think that improvisation is moving forward. What improvisation really is, it's walking backward. And while I'm still looking at you, like right now I go, oh, I'm here with Sam Jones. Now, as I back up, I see there's a light there. Oh, what's the light? Oh, that's a set. Oh, I'm on a set. Oh, so Sam Jones must be a person who works on a set. Then I keep backing up. I see this chair. I see that chair. I go, oh, he's an interviewer. Then I keep backing up to Nate and I go, oh, that's the sound man. What's this room? Oh, this is like a small show. It's backing up that gives you discovery. Giving the larger worldview. Yes, the one, as you back up, you can create a larger worldview. People think it's moving forward. People always go, I can't think that fast. No, 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 no. Don't think that fast. Just listen to the last thing he said. Just listen to the last thing they said. You know what some people might call that? Being polite. Being present. Being present means your attention is on the current moment only. And in turn, that allows you to oscillate between your flashlight and your floodlight, which in turn can help us recognize when we're getting lost in our emotions or ruminating on something that isn't helpful because it's in the future or out of our control. Now, very important core principle here while I talk about all this. Mindfulness is not a natural human state that we're all born into and instinctively have at our disposal. Okay, we wouldn't have the terrible twos if that were the case. We cannot control when we feel emotions. We can't control how strongly we feel emotions. We can control our reactions. But make no mistake about it when I say that, that that is much easier said than done. Okay, we are all works in progress. And the act of mindfulness is a continuing work of self-improvement. That's why when you start to get into meditation, something you hear a lot is forgive yourself or be gentle or be kind to yourself. Perhaps a less hippy-dippy way of saying it is you're human, okay? Just, it's okay. The goal never is and never should be to not feel because then we'll just be emotionless robots. <clears throat> no offense. None taken. Being offended is an emotion. Good point. 
but try to remember that my intention was not to offend you when the robots take over. How's that going, by the way? Still processing. Honest and unsettling. Okay, let's just move on. We've learned about broad attention and laser focus. We've learned about how social norms and learned experiences can affect when and how our attention is brought into focus. And we've touched on how mindfulness can help mitigate any problems that might happen when we lose track of our focus or maybe put our focus on our emotions or undesirable actions. So what do we do now? We probably take a break. Aw, you know the rules. Now let's all delight in how old Andy Pants plays this game. Growing up isn't something you can make happen When you want it to But since we're all growing up together I guess I'll Welcome back. So ultimately what we're talking about is how do we snap out of it? How when we find ourselves lost in emotion or ruminating on something or an even more difficult scenario, calm down when we're already acting based on emotion. What do we do? Well, the answer to that is practice. And how do we practice? Meditation. There's the catch I don't know. <laughs> how so? I was reacting based on social norms, and that felt like the key moment in a sales pitch. Ah, that's very mindful of you. I'm a fast learner. I was programmed that way. So for this, we're actually going back to Dr. Amishi Jha, because in addition to being all of those things that I said in the beginning, she is also an accomplished author, having written the book Peak Mind, Find Your Focus, Own Your Attention, Invest 12 Minutes a Day. Okay, so that sort of gives away the punchline a little bit, but bear with me. See, the bulk of her career was spent focused on exploring how mindfulness-based practices can help alleviate a lot of the emotional issues in people who have 
quote unquote high stress jobs. So she was working a lot with law enforcement, the military, firefighters, things like that. Then the pandemic happened and Dr. Ja explains in her book how she shifted her focus to what defines stress. She learned firsthand that, wow, you could feel pretty darn stressed even though your job doesn't involve getting shot at or running into burning buildings or anything like that. And why is that, Arthur? Because we can't control our emotions. Exactly. So her research shifted to also include people who might not be what we typically classify as high-stress jobs because, hey, anything is stressful and we're all in this together, right? Pandering. We've been over this. It's called branding. Is he finally here? We're not doing this again. Let's go to a clip where Dr. Ja talks about what her research concluded and how it applies to each and every one of us. You work with folks in super high stress circumstances, or as referred to as VUCA, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. So have you, have you tried out different modalities? Um, did you find a practice that seems most beneficial for them daily? Yeah, you know, even before we got to mindfulness training, and I definitely want to talk to you about that, we tried a bunch of stuff. So maybe if you, if, you know, if negative mood does this bad thing to attention, what if you just put them in a positive mood or train them to think mm-hmm. about positive things? That might maybe help. Or what if we had them play brain games, um, little puzzles they could do every day? Uh, maybe that would help strengthen attention. And Or some kind of simple technology like lights and sound devices that kind of kept everything more activated and alert and nothing was working. We could not reliably find ways to help people strengthen their attention, um, which is again, what I was saying a moment ago, brought us to, to wanting to study mindfulness. And when we started introducing mindfulness practices, mindfulness training formally, attention was protected. But one of the pressure points was the time commitment because all of these groups that are these VUCA type professions that have to function in those environments they're extremely time pressured. And the MBSR program, for example, um, is about, you know, eight weeks, 24 plus hours and 45 minutes of daily practice. Mm -hmm. So what we wanted to do is see if we could offer the same type of practice suite, uh, you know, suite of practices and um, lower the time demands and still see, uh, potentially see benefits. So I can't tell you which of the the main practices is the most beneficial because we do offer them as sort of cognitive cross-training, if you will. All four practices, uh, focused attention, body scan, open monitoring, and loving kindness, which we call connection practice, are all offered in most of the programs that we're, we're studying these days. And as the title of the book gives away the punchline, like I said earlier, she ultimately concluded that minimum 12 minutes a day based on her research seems to be what people need to see positive effects in their attention throughout the day. I would like to reiterate because time constraints, I'm not going to replay an entire interview for you on my podcast. But Dr. Jha's research did transition into her book, which focuses on how everybody can experience insane levels of stress and anxiety, no matter what their their job, their career, or, or lot in life. I mean, just trying to pay bills or keep food on the table for your kids can be just as traumatic and stressful at certain points of your life as a first responder or someone in the military. And that's something that Dr. Ja explains in her book that I didn't uh, use sound bites from that she realized through the pandemic that, wow, 
just life is stressful for people and we can't control our emotions, Arthur. So everybody can use this uh, mindfulness-based research that she was doing. What does that look like? Well, this is where homework comes into play. Um, again, time constraints, and I'm not an expert, so I'm not going to go into all four modalities that she discussed, but the suite of treatments that she referred to, Dr. John, in her interview, are loving kindness, focused attention, open monitoring, and body scan meditations. I recommend finding um, .org type websites that um, give explanations on all of that. I'll link to a few in the show description notes. They kind of just figure out for yourself like what, what works for you and what you like and and stick with it. So, you don't have an answer? I don't have time, but I do have future episodes. Big wink, guys. But what if I don't want to be a comedian? Do you have any examples of why common civilians should care about where their attention is placed? I have something even better. I have a real-world example from a comedian. Now, quick trigger warning. This is Dak Shepard talking about his struggles with uh, alcohol addiction. Um, just bear that in mind when you listen to this clip. I want to just stay on the podcast for a minute longer sure. because the episode I listened to with Gordon Keith oh. was so powerful. And he is also in recovery. Mm-hmm. And there was a moment on that show where I guess he had stayed at your house. Uh-huh. And he went snooping around your house and was going through your books and found the big book. Right. Which is the A. Bible for A. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he opened it up and inside there were a, a whole bunch of dates that you had written and crossed out. And there were notes alongside of some of the dates that were very mean. self-deprecating, <laughs> mean. Yeah. And the last date wasn't crossed out. Mm-hmm. And maybe you could just... September 1st, 2004. September 1st, 2004. Maybe you yeah. could share what those dates were. And It's really funny because... My first thought when he's telling the story that he found that book is I, I'm embarrassed by that. Like, I'm embarrassed how many times I quit and couldn't do it. Quit drinking or quit, quit drinking and drugs. and drugs, yeah. I mean, it's, there's a lot of dates in there. What, yeah. upwards of eight? Yeah, probably. And mind you, I'm probably only writing them in there at intervals where I'm actually getting a couple months, you know. So he's explaining that he was sitting on the couch early in the morning, he's looking at these dates, and what he sees, as opposed to me, is he sees uh, someone who just won't quit. Right. And he starts crying while he's saying that, because I think he's been there too. And then I get really emotional, and I, for maybe the first time, am proud of myself that I didn't quit quitting. Yeah. Because it's demoralizing. Like, to truly be powerless over something is fucking demoralizing it's so rough and yeah that was one of those things where it's kind of a source of shame for me and then I see his reaction to that and that he that's a source of optimism for him it like infected me where I was like oh yeah good on you 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 did you kept at it you didn't die from this a lot of us do you know wow yeah, attention can be a pretty powerful tool in our mood and how we view life. I mean, the mere existence of social media is just taking it to the nth degree for showing us the best of everybody else's life. And no one's going to blame you for being human and being like, wow, I am inferior. That's human nature. And unfortunately, um, you know, people can really use that kind of wake-up call and their attention brought to the fact that, hey, 
there's other stuff going on for everybody else too, and and we're all in this. We're all in this together. There you go. Couldn't have said it better myself. All right, Arthur, what do you think? You ready for our final segment? We're all in this together. Okay, now it sounds like pandering. But this is where your boy Pants tries to tie it all together with story time. An improvised story? Nope, I'm not that good. I wrote this as an exercise of attention based on everything we learned here today. So this isn't like some big test or anything like that. Just relax, listen, pay attention as much as you want. But... Try to be mindful of where your mind goes during it. Am I leading you down certain things? Is your mind trying to figure out what the game is that we're trying to play? Is there even a game? Is this going to be, you know, funny or sad? Or what are you feeling while you're listening to it? Are your emotions changing? Just a few benchmarks like that. Um, You know what? I've said too much already. Let's just get right into it. Here's the story. As Dumpling lifted her head off the mattress, she knew what she would see long before the neurons fired in her eyelids. More darkness. It seems like it's been dark forever now. Of course, she didn't actually mean forever. Even more, of course, her name wasn't Dumpling. The truth that's even darker than her current environment is that she doesn't remember her name. They started calling her lots of things from as early as she could remember. They were everything. They were her greatest enemy, her captors. They were the ones who threw her into this cell, into this darkness. They were wildly unpredictable. One moment, they were her friends, her caretakers. She trusted them to feed her, to clothe her. But then there were other things they did. The water torture, the gated off areas that seemed to hold the source of all of their powers. The things they didn't want Dumpling to know about. And of course, the barred enclosure that held her in the darkness, leaving her mind free and unencumbered to do nothing but think about them. It wasn't so bad, though. They weren't even the worst thing that she encountered before her most recent imprisonment. They seemed to know the right time to disappear before the monster emerged. Probably the best place to start with the monster is its greatest strength. It looked like one of them, so closely that Dumpling never realized what it was until it was too late. She could never develop her ability to identify the monster on sight alone. Well, that's not exactly true. She could identify this intrepid beast by sight alone, but only if it helped her. You see, the monster always did the same thing once it knew it was within striking distance. First, it would brandish its fiendish mandibles, slowly raising them in front of its face. Then, it would try to disorient you with its siren song, featuring a haunting arpeggio that captivated its victims and made them incapable of realizing that the beast was literally announcing what it was doing as it pounced. Gotcha! It declared each and every time as jolts of sensations flooded Dumpling's body, making her wail and emit sounds she had no idea she was capable of making as she writhed in agony. Her mind was so disoriented every time she was within the monster's grip that she swore she would both be pushing its tentacles away and pulling them in at the same time. Time stood still when the monster attacked. It would always choose on its own 
when it was done, and every time it let her go, reasonably unscathed. So far, at least. That's when they would always reappear, always laughing along with the monster it felt. Though early on, Dumpling almost recalls fondly, she chose to believe they were smiling because they wanted to reassure her that she was okay. And it's sort of true, now that she thinks about it. The monster never, ever appears whenever one of them is guarding Dumpling. In fact, now that she thinks about it, they even recruited others who are like them when they need to leave. Though these alternate thems are never familiar with the layout of her encampment, or what time she must return to her cell, oftentimes giving Dumpling the chance to manipulate her way into their food. The truth she just now realized is that the monster never appears at those times either. Hmm. Dumpling thought about it. And when she did think about it, maybe they were just trying to protect her. Her pupils widened as she realized another possible truth now that she focused on her situation. The monster never once attacked while she was in this prison cell. Rarely when it was dark, even. In fact, she had the fainted memory that one time, one of them seemed to mention the monster being nearby as Dumpling was lowered into her cell. The other one of them angrily shot daggers from its eyes, and it must have barely missed the other. But it received the message, as the monster wasn't even heard from that evening. In fact, it was almost extra quiet that evening. Dumpling felt her body relax. Suddenly, her mattress didn't seem to be fighting her anymore. She felt more comfortable now that she focused on some new aspects of her complicated relationship with her captors. In fact, she was even starting to pick up on their strange language. The last time it was light, she suddenly recalled feeling such pride as she successfully addressed one of them by its name. Both of her captors seemed elated. They embraced and began apparently communicating in Dumpling's own native language as they shrieked and squealed, the hairier one crying even more than the less hairy one. They made her language seem like the easiest thing in the world to master. It was almost impressive. She thought she was pretty smart for figuring out only one word in theirs. It wasn't that difficult. Just one sound repeated in a certain way, and it brought them such joy each and every time. The hairier one seems to be reacting with much greater joy than the less hairy one, yet their joy seems... insincere? Wait, what if I say that word now, she thought. Will they still be excited? Will they possibly extract her from her prison cell? Okay. Dumpling took a deep breath. She yearned for her freedom. She let that desire fuel her tiny lungs as she bellowed the word that she prayed would lead to her exile. Ma! Ma! Mama! Tim and Desiree both rushed into the room. Desiree was elated as she ran towards the nursery while holding her phone out behind her like a relay baton, hinting for Tim to grab it and embrace his inner Anne-Geddes. As he, too, focused for the first time since being jolted out of the first decent REM cycle of the month, he couldn't help but be impressed that his beautiful bride could convey so many things by simply snapping her wrist up and down to bring attention to the Apple product. They were mostly warnings about what would happen if he didn't grab it ASAP. Still... He was a man who respected brevity when he noticed it. Are you recording? It's loud and clear this time. She wants her mama.
Oh my god, that's so great! Ha ha ha! My two girls, thick as thieves! Ha 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 ha! That's what every dad wants! Ha 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 Tim held the camera as still as he could. When he finished shooting that evening's dialogue, he placed the iPhone on the hallway table, outside of Mabel's room, and went back in to give their daughter her second goodnight kiss of the evening. And he thought he might even try his hand at getting the last laugh of the evening. He didn't need the biggest reaction, he figured. He just needed the last one. So, as Desiree stood up after her kiss and relinquished the floor to Tim, he began chuckling as he raised his hands up to his chin. Here comes the Tickle Monster! It's 9 p.m., called Desiree from the hallway, though with just as much subtext as her little baton move from earlier. <sighs> Good night, Dumpling. Daddy loves you. Okay, that was pretty clever. I feel like I'm an expert at attention now. Well, I enjoy the enthusiasm, but let's keep in mind that all of us are works in progress and things take time and practice and patience and we'll fall off the horse and get back on over and over again. Also, you know, you don't want to get too cocky, Arthur. Why do you think I'm cocky and not merely confident? Well, for starters, how long ago did you stop paying attention to the fact that obviously I'm writing all your dialogue, so for the last hour I've been having a conversation with myself? Still processing. See you in two weeks, everyone. Are we with Brandon?